is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of London is Blue podcast. Our first one post Champions of Europe. Uh, besides the match review that was, uh, first of all, thank you everyone for the positive feedback and just honest feedback and, and Joe Tweeds jumping into the host duties and stepping up. That was really cool and uh, it was fun reliving that experience and trying to share it with you all as best we could through social media and uh, that pod. But uh, back to business, all right? It is summer transfer window time. Not officially yet. We still have a little bit of time, but it's coming up soon. So, uh, we've got myself, Brandon, and Dan, joined by who, Dan? Who is our summer expert? Well, it, it can only be, there's only one Matt Law. So we have to bring Matt Law back because he's the man, the myth, the legend. He is the keeper of secrets. He is the individual who pulls back the, br- uh, the brush and uncovers the tracks to lead us to the true source of knowledge. And uh, yeah, we're excited to have you back, Matt. Hi, it's not actually true. There's another Matt Law. There's a very famous male model, Matt Law, who unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately as my wife points out, is much better looking than me and is in much better shape than me. So I can't claim to be the only Matt Law. Sorry. Matt, I thought you were going to go, and that person is also me. <laughs> <laughs> my wife wishes. My wife wishes. Oh, uh, well, we're excited. Obviously, we haven't talked to Matt minus a few DMs uh, since the Champions League final. So uh, we'll definitely be talking about that in the pending news, RE Thomas Tuchel. Uh, then we'll talk about the start of the transfer window and what uh, some of the biggest news already is. Uh, write one article one day, we have to write it completely different the next day. I mean, that's that's where we're at right now. And then obviously we'll have the return of a formerly friendly face to the Premier League question mark because, you know, Matt covers a couple teams in London. So we might have a little crossover in the Venn diagram there. So anyways, let's just jump in. Dan, Champions League, I'm going I'm to kick it to you. Yeah, so Matt, uh, obviously you are the Villa fan, you're the neutral observer, you're the car, you know, Chelsea correspondent. Uh, how did you end up enjoying the final? I know we had talked about uh, what that was going to look like for you, you know, at home since you weren't able to to attend. And, you know, you, you also put together the comments that Chelsea thoroughly deserved on the night. So maybe just wanted to get your, uh, how did you take it in and what was your overall assessment? Do you know what? I watched it in a house full of Manchester City fans. So I was in a different room. My um, my wife is from Manchester, and her uh, all her side of the family are man- uh, lifelong Manchester City fans, well past the uh, Abu Dhabi takeover. And um, we went up there because she wanted to watch it with them. Uh, so they had a house full of Manchester City fans, and I was literally in a different room, which I set up as my own sort of media hub with a few screens going on. But funnily enough, they... They were, because they had the sort of main television of the house, as it were, they were probably 30 seconds ahead of me. So I heard one very large groan just before Kai Havertz on my screens scored what proved to be the winning goal. So I sort of saw it coming, if you see what I mean. I I knew what was about to happen. And I was also then just waiting the rest of the half, whether there'd be any sort of cheer or anything like that. And of course, as the silence grew grew worse from the other room, I, I started to realise that I wasn't going to see any Manchester City goals. Look, I mean, you you say I watch it um, as a neutral, and I sort of do, but I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself fully neutral because, as you say, I'm a Chelsea correspondent. My brief during the match was to find a Chelsea theme to write on. It ended up being Kai Havertz. It's not always goal scorer, but but Kai doing that in front of Roman 
felt very significant to me. So that ended up being my theme for a piece. But I was watching the game, trying to find a Chelsea theme, looking at different Chelsea angles, looking for sort of bits and bobs Chelsea-wise. So I, because I wasn't doing the main match report, um, that was the, the guy who was doing it there from very much a neutral perspective in between City and Chelsea. I wouldn't actually have called myself fully neutral. I was probably watching the game through Chelsea eyes. Well, we were glad to have that additional support, that additional good vibe and energy heading into the universe. Uh, apologies and uh, uh, to your wife and your wife's family. Uh, they deserve no apologies. They've won plenty, and they all want to sign. They all want their team to sign Jack Grealish. So don't worry, they deserve no apologies whatsoever. They want to sign Jack Grealish. Then they could potentially play with seven attackers, not just six. <laughs> um, I guess from your perspective. Uh, what was the biggest standout for you in this match? Was it lineup decisions? Was it tactics? Was it just execution on the day? I mean, a one-goal Champions League final is obviously the tightest of margins. We've actually had to go back and watch it from the TV perspective because when you're there in person, yeah, yeah. my gosh, it is a different experience to say the least. And, you know, you're at one angle, can't really see everything as well. So, I mean, I guess – you find margins, but was there one thing that kind of stood out to you that made the difference? Not one thing, no. I think it was an accumulation of things. I mean, I, when I saw the team lineups, uh, you know, obviously Pep took a gamble. Um, and it didn't, you know, you've got to say it, it didn't pay off the middle of the park. Angolo Kante ran the middle of the park. There were holes down the middle of the park for Manchester City, as proven on the goal. And and it didn't pay off. And Manchester, the, the weird thing was, is that... I said to you last week that I thought it was an impossible match to call and that it would be tight. But what I thought was that City would dominate possession. And certainly in the first half, and maybe the first sort of hour, they didn't dominate possession at all because they just couldn't get hold of hold of midfield. And that was a huge surprise to me. I, I, didn't, I thought Chelsea could win the game. Um, but if they did, I thought it'd be very much on the counter-attack and there'd be lots and lots of, of, of Manchester City possession and I didn't think it played out that way they didn't at any time apart from maybe the last 20 minutes when they had a lot of the ball but didn't create a lot um I didn't feel they controlled the game and that's partly Pep's team selection which Thomas Tuchel said afterwards did take him by surprise they did expect Fernandinho to play so they hadn't second guessed that and it's also because Chelsea executed their game plan superbly I mean I thought it was very interesting that every time a Chelsea player got the ball, they looked to the outside. They never at one point, apart from Mason Mount's ball through, in possession, they would always look to go outside to try and not fall into the City trap of getting pressed and, and then all of a sudden having swathes of City players on you. That, to me, looked like a huge tactic that had been prepared on in advance. I thought it was incredibly clever. Um, I, I thought that the team selection... It's probably not quite what I'd have gone with beforehand, but it it turned out perfect. Reese James had one of the, the games of his life. And, you know, that to me before kickoff as well, putting James back to, to wing back, having not had him there for a few weeks, looked like a potential area that, that City could capitalise on. Ben Chilwell had an incredible game. Rüdiger again had an incredible game. You know, you... I, I think I would, I would take from it, I think there were probably five or six City players who had come off the pitch saying that they had one of their worst games of the season. And that's not to criticise Chelsea or demean Chelsea's achievement. But I think a lot of Chelsea, uh, City players will come off that pitch kicking themselves that they 
they didn't step up to the occasion where every single Chelsea player stepped up to the occasion. Timo Werner missed a couple of chances, but he, his general play and his running was so, so important. I don't think any Chelsea player could have come off that pitch remotely disappointed with anything anything they did. Well, at the end of the day, they didn't have to worry about it. We didn't have to sweat overtime, extra time. We didn't have to sweat penalties. Good, good result. Kept us just on enough edge, Dan. But I tell you what, you know, I'm always trying to advance in my career, Dan. You know, I'm always trying to like <laughs> tell my boss how good of a job I'm doing. Thomas Tuchel. I mean, imagine him rocking up to that negotiating table and just like, have you met my friend European Championship? <laughs> have you met Mr. Big Ears? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, you, you tweeted out this as well, Matt, that the meeting, the first meeting the night of the Champions League victory went well. Uh, why not? And then the next morning meets again and more positive vibes. Feels like Tuchel is the guy to carry Chelsea forward and continue to build on the momentum. So I guess what's your sense of how well those meetings went and in general, um, you know, how invested, you know, do you feel like Roman and the club are now into Tuchel and, and what he wants to do? Look, I mean, I, I find it mind boggling that his first meeting with Roman Abramovich is on the pitch in Porto. <laughs> after they've just won the Champions League. I mean, what a time to meet your boss. I, I still can't really get my head around that. And what, what do you say? I mean, I, I've watched the videos that Chelsea put out trying to sort of look for the interaction between them. And they, they sort of act as though they've known each other for a while. And yet they've never spoken before that moment. And I can't really get, I can't really process it. I can't really process what you'd say to each other in that moment as being the first interaction between employer and employee. And you've just delivered this incredible success. So, I mean, look, Thomas Tuchel said afterwards that, uh, that winning it, had triggered a clause in his contract anyway, automatically. Um, he said that basically, other than a few pleasantries, Roman had basically said to him, right, let's meet tomorrow, let's talk tomorrow. Um, the after party Roman was at, they had a big after party at a venue, which they were going to have win or lose, though that was planned whatever. It wasn't planning for victory or it wasn't only planning for victory. They were having this event party afterwards, whatever, but clearly it was a better attended function than it would have been had they have lost. More I'm lively. Told, yeah, I'm told Roman and all of his group were there. The um, The celebrations went way past 3 a.m. So I'm assuming that Thomas Tuchel's first then meeting with, with Roman on the Sunday morning after the after party would be a fairly groggy affair from both of them, and they, they wouldn't be feeling quite tip-top. But I, I'm told they spent some good time together in Porto face-to-face, had what I'm, I'm told of productive talks. You can never get any real detail out of these talks. No one, no one is willing to say what what Roman's saying. But I think we can safe to say contracts will have been discussed. What they need moving forwards will have been discussed, but only sort of briefly. It, it won't have been the most in depth meeting in in the world. They've just had a late night. They've just won. It, it's clearly a sort of just make sure we're all on the same page. Thomas said on Saturday night that he wanted to check that the owner, he basically said, I would love to create an empire now. I would love to create something moving forward. And to do that, I will need to sign a few players. And I do want to take this on. And I need to check that the, the owner does, that you know this isn't a culmination for him almost. And the fact that the meeting was, was described by both parties as productive would suggest to me that whatever they did hear from each other is, is what they wanted to hear. 
Bring on the Blue Empire. We are down. And I assumed it'd be nothing but positive conversations. It's probably just a matter of how much it can control and, and, and vision will Tuchel get. So um, positive days. Unfortunately, we're going to keep the Champions League a little bit short. We feel like we touched on that. But there's so much to talk about when it comes to summer stuff. Uh, but I do want to see if there's any other things you want to touch on, Matt, before we move off on this. I mean, it's the second time Chelsea have ever won the Champions League. It kind of puts them in that next bracket of teams that have won it multiple times. I know it still puts us on par, I believe, with like Leeds United and and uh, was it Sheffield or not Sheffield? Nottingham but, uh, Forest. Nottingham, Nottingham Forest. Forest. That's right. You knew where I was going with that. You know, so it kind of gets us into the the next level of of contenders when it comes to European glory. But anything else from the night or the day, the experience or? Look, I just think that um, I wrote about this the next day. I just think it's interesting that the last Champions League final victory was very much the end of something. It, it really was. You know, Drogba left the, the following summer. Over the next two to three years, all those legends of that team drifted away from the club. And it was always clear, you know, after that victory that it that was what they were going to start doing. They signed Hazard. They started, they knew that they were in a massive rebuilding process. Now, clubs are always in rebuilding processes and there will be obviously players who leave Chelsea in the next couple of years and someone like Cesar Aspilicueta now has won everything. He's 31, 32. He's going to naturally over the next few years phase out. You know, that that's natural. And there will be other players like that. But this does feel different because it doesn't feel like the end of something. The, the core now is set for a very long time. Kai Havertz, 21, Reese James, Mason Mount, 22, um, Werner, obviously, 24, 25, still a young guy, Christensen, a young guy. There's a massive core of that team now who who are set fair and also who, unlike the next wave that came after the 2012 win last time when they got the Hazards and the Courtois in and people and the Kakus, and there was a sense that Chelsea was a massive thing for them, but it wasn't necessarily their dream to just play for Chelsea forever. It's Mason Mount's dream to play for Chelsea forever. It's Reese James' dream to play for Chelsea forever. And then the other lads, it's slightly different because Kai Havertz, you know, Eden Hazard and Thibaut Courtois went to Real Madrid to try and win the Champions League and Chelsea have won it before them. So now there's also a massive lesson that the grass isn't necessarily greener when you leave Chelsea for these huge, huge European clubs. So it changes the dynamic. And I think it changes what this Champions League victory is about in comparison to the, the last Champions League victory. Fair play. Well said. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, but listeners, when we're right back, it is strikers and attackers on the transfer block. So thanks to sponsors for financial supporting the show. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, <clears throat> really hope that's us, and access to our community discord and e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, will help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all of the other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this 
for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box of this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com forward slash join. Come hang out with us. We love Blue Wire. You won't be disappointed. All right, so coming back into it, there's uh, the summer uh, silly season as it is with transfers. We'll jump right in to the name that made some waves yesterday, uh, recording this on the Thursday, June 3rd. But Lukaku is saying that, uh, you know, Matt, he doesn't necessarily want to leave Inter, that he feels like he's in the plans. And I know that we on this podcast invented the Lukaku to Chelsea (laughs) rumors, and uh, maybe we have to put them to bed. But I think the way that you framed it was, if this is true, uh, which I think if being the operative word, um, it could put Chelsea into a bad position. But do you think that maybe this could just be Lukaku trying to, you know, put some fingers in some ears and head into the Euros a little bit more free? Look, it's, it's an interesting one because on Saturday night, I was very interested that Lukaku's agent was in Porto to watch the Champions League final. Now, these these agents have lots of clients and they like to go to the big events, so it didn't necessarily mean anything was was happening. But I, I thought it was very interesting on the night. Um, look, I've, I've spoken to some very good Belgian contacts since Lukaku's television interview that happened yesterday and was was put out to air last night in England. Um, and and they they say that he he's serious as we sit down now. You know he. He referenced that he had a chat with Simone Inzaghi, who was literally today being confirmed as Inter's next manager. And the fact he's had that conversation and then come out and said, I'm staying, would suggest he's he's heard something he likes. It would suggest that this is a considered opinion rather than just a PR spin. So on one hand, I believe he's being genuine. But you just never say never in the transfer market. I've learned that to my detriment. And you certainly never say never on June the 3rd um, before the market's even opened. And there's a lot of variables to this still. I mean, he might not want to, he might say he doesn't want to leave Inter. That's basically saying I'm not going to push for a move. That doesn't mean if Inter accepted a bid for him that he would turn down a move. Those two things are very, very different things. And Inter still have a financial situation. So, it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that if Chelsea were to have a bid accepted for him, Lukaku's stance on that would change because he's he's talking from somebody who currently isn't up for sale. So there's there's certainly that, and then and then it's just so early, you know, who will Inzaghi bring in? Who what can the club do? Who will they sell? They've got to sell players. They could sell Hakimi, they could sell Latoro Martinez. Would that change? You know, anything can change Lukaku's stance on this. So. I think it's too early to write it off, but what I would say is I think Lukaku at the moment is being genuine. I'm told he's incredibly happy in Italy. He's at a stage of his life where he's 27 now, where he's not chasing after the big moves anymore. His lifestyle is important to him. His personal life's important to him. There's a bit more going on with him now than just trying to chase the the next big football move. So there's a lot of different things plates to spin on that but I, I think he's genuine now but that doesn't mean things can't change I mean it's a weird twist right because we know how much him and Antonio Conte created this 
this bond. Now Antonio Conte is being linked to Spurs, as you reported. Is there a wild world where like Kane goes knowing that they bring Lukaku in? No, no chance. Lukaku isn't isn't joining Spurs. No chance. You know, well, Lukaku Lukaku now is one of the best strikers in the world. He's in that bracket with Kane, and and Kane wants to leave Spurs for a reason because they haven't won anything. And there's no way Lukaku is going to a club where he's he's not sure whether he'll win anything. Conte or no Conte, you know, Lukaku can't base the rest of his career on playing for Antonio Conte. It's it's just not realistic, particularly as Conte is a coach who moves around every 18 months to two years. I mean, however much those two love each other, there's there's no way Lukaku can hang his whole career on playing for Conte forever. And there's no way that, that Lukaku will end up at Tottenham, even if they sell Kane, which, I, by the way, I don't think they will. So um, I don't think there's any sort of weird world going on in that respect where Lukaku ends up playing for Antonio Conte, but not at Chelsea, but for, for Tottenham Hotspur. What about the just maybe like the power ranking of Chelsea targets? Do you still feel like even with the news that Chelsea are going to view Lukaku as that number one striker? Or do you feel like for them it's a interchangeable? If you know they, if they could convince Tottenham to sell Kane, which I know we've talked about before, is probably never going to happen. Ninety nine percent chance it doesn't. Uh, Holland or now do we move into a tier of where Chelsea is going to look at the backup options to that tier of striker? Well, what I actually I'm going to answer that question slightly. I'll come back to that, but I'm going to answer that question slightly differently because what I think this might do is alter Chelsea's priority of positions for the transfer window. You know, if you're struggling to get your number one striker or your one, two or three striker, because I think those one, two or three could all be number one, you know, Haaland, Kane, Lukaku, they'd take any of them, quite frankly. So, you know, there's not a one, two, three pecking order in those guys. It's just whether they could get one of them. If they can't get one of those, I wonder whether a different position becomes the priority and they come back to striker and see what they can do or what's around later in the window. Does Declan Rice become the priority? Possibly, possibly. And he would allow you to then play a different way as well because you could maybe then look to start to plan towards a four at the back instead of a five at the back. Does, I mean, I wrote about him and Hakimi falls into this as well. Does the right-sided player, who I think was probably last on the priority list, a Hakimi or an Adama Traore, who they've definitely shown an interest in, does that then become a bigger priority? Because again, it gives you more of a balance to the squad. It gives you options. You can play five at the back. You can play four at the back. You can play Traore as a winger or a wing back. Hakimi can play in the back four or a back five. I actually think maybe it changes the priority on the positions. If they can't get one of those number one strikers, maybe they go, okay, we're going to spend the big money or we're going to try and spend the big money on a Declan Rice now. And we're going to sort out the right side of the pitch because Tuchel clearly doesn't feel that the balance of the squad is quite right on the right. And that is, I am assured that's nothing against Reese James. It's, it's in terms of having a balance of a squad and giving himself options. And I think it's with an eye on the African Nations Cup. Um, and then maybe do you then come back to the striker later in the window and you think, do you know what, we actually can we can work our way through this, as we've discussed before. We're not so desperate for a striker that we can't ever play again w- without signing anyone. Do we then look later in the window at whether there's any opportunities come up? 
has Lewandowski signed a new contract by then? Have Arsenal done anything in the window or do they suddenly need to sell an Aubameyang to, to get their window going to, to free up some cash? Um, do, what's going on with Jadon Sancho? Do we take a look at that? Because he can offer a different type of goal-scoring threat off a flank. I wonder whether it all gets parked a little bit uh, for later on to see how the market develops and the knock-on effects if... if um, Haaland, Kane, Lukaku, it becomes clear that they, they can't really get this summer. I <clears throat> heard some things in there, which I think is super interesting. But I think a lot of it is is trying to find, I guess, this, this squad balance that you say, where does Kai Havertz go if we sign a striker? Well, this I mean, this is it. This is, this is a very good point. I mean, the... the, the Tuchel is in a position now where he will have a lot of power, but still the board are not going to accept any sort of move that that demotes Kai Havertz, given he's just scored in the Champions League final. And you can only imagine he's only going to get better next season. I can't imagine for a minute he's going to get worse. So exactly that, exactly that is, is if you sign a striker, what then do you do with Havertz? Or then what do you do with, if you drop Havertz back, does that mean Werner's definitely out? Or does it mean that, that mounts definitely out. I mean, for how, however much Werner misses chances, Chelsea have found it very difficult to win without him in the team because how they play and the runs he makes and the pace brings a completely different dimension to them. There's a lot of variables in there. The, the one thing about the striker position is, though, that Olivier Giroud is, is going to leave. I'd be very surprised if Olivier Giroud renews a contract. And we know the problems around Tammy. So even if you're saying that, okay, we can start the season with Havertz as our false nine and we've got Timo who can obviously play up front and we've even got Christian Pulisic who I think Tuchel does believe can play as a false nine. We, we've got some options in there and it's it's not the worst situation in the world. It's a situation that we've used to win the Champions League. Um, numerically, you might be in a slight problem because you then haven't got a Giroud in the, on the bench and you potentially haven't got an Abraham either. And if you even if you made Abraham stay, you've probably got an unhappy Abraham. So it feels like somebody would have to come in, even just from a numerical squad perspective, even if they couldn't get the, the absolute number one striker. But th- these will be the conversations and the things they're looking at right now. So, you know, I think, um, you know, you mentioned that maybe the position of focus changes in that regard. And so I think the the one name that people like to point to is Declan Rice and Operation Rice, as it were. <laughs> you know, obviously, West Ham are going to be tough negotiators at the table. They probably view Declan as the last person that they want to sell out of the list of players that they do need to sell in this window. Do you think there's a, an upper limit? You know, I think every player has a price and every team has a price that they want to pay. You know, how, how far away do you think Chelsea are in terms of what they think they would want to pay reasonably and what West Ham are going to ask for? And what what's the middle ground number that you think that they, they could both sides feel good about? Well, despite what West Ham said sort of off the record last season, I'm told that, that Chelsea were pretty much told that last summer it had been 70 million for Rice. I mean, West Ham were, were trying to brief that it would have been 100 million and things, but I'm told that 70 million last summer was was the figure Chelsea thought they'd have to pay to get Rice. Um, look, you'd imagine that's already gone up 20 million. Um, and then you've got the Euros. If Declan Rice is a star at the Euros and he's definitely going to play every single England game, 
that that figure can only go up, can't it? That I think I personally think the only way Declan Rice to Chelsea happens is if Declan Rice asks to leave. If he's he's made so aware of the Chelsea interest and that Chelsea are prepared to put in a bid, I think he's going to have to do what Harry Kane's currently doing at, at Tottenham and, and hope that that West Ham look at it from that. I I don't see West Ham selling him under any circumstances why, unless he actually says he wants to leave. So that's the first thing. Secondly, I can't see Chelsea paying 90 to a million to 90 to 100 million for, for Declan Rice. Um, I can see them paying sort of 70 million for Declan Rice. So whether something can be negotiated there, I don't know, to be quite honest with you. But it's a, it's a really difficult deal to do. But this time last year, if you'd have said to me about Ben Chilwell, I'd have said that's a really difficult deal to do because there was no need for Leicester to have to sell Ben Chilwell. They were in a great financial position. They didn't have a problem on his contract. Um, I didn't see this time last year that Chelsea would necessarily go as high as 50 million for, for a left back, and yet they did. So, in a way, it's a similar situation to where we were last summer with, with Ben Chilwell. And will they push the boat out? If, look, if, if Tuchel, Tuchel's never going to have more power than he has now. And if he is saying to them, Declan Rice is the player I need, it's hard for them after what he's just delivered to not make a very, very big effort to try and get Declan Rice. I, you know, I think it's kind of funny... We were talking to fans about that when it came to Chilwell, and they're like, you know, we were talking about all these maybe cheaper European options, and at the end of the day, Chilwell maybe didn't hit the ground running per se, but he's come good. And I think people are kind of distilling that down to, oh, he's English, knows the league, proven product, you just take that and go. So I think a lot of people are also interested in Rice because of that, but there's also this thing of they're just really good players as well. So there, there's that thing. Um, There's also with Rice. Rice is a leader. I mean, that's that's what you. I feel that's what makes Rice stand out. Okay, it's very difficult to get leaders these days. It's very difficult to sign that kind of player. There aren't a lot of them around, and Rice is a real, real leader, um, and would be for years and years to come. And I think that puts a pre- premium on a price for him, and would make him sort of an extra special signing for Chelsea. All right. Well, I, I want to skip over the defense because I think a lot of that's kind of straightforward as we see it. Um, you know, we touched on Hakimi, which clearly picked up steam after we talked about it last time, which the the Matt Law effect is we're dubbing it. So congrats, mm-hmm. sir. Um, what about outgoing? We talked about Tammy not being super happy. Now we're hearing some things about maybe Callum Hudson-Odoi and Christian Pulisic. Uh, I mean, you know, then there's the people like Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Barkley. I dare not put them in the same category as Drinkwater. Plug Matt's awesome interview with Danny Drinkwater. And then you've got too many defenders, maybe Zuma and Emerson. I throw a buffet at you. What what are you looking to bite on? Wow. Um, that, that just shows the, the size of the job Marina Granovskaya has got this summer. Um, Ruben, I know, wants to come and give it a go. That's one thing I can 100% tell you. Ruben wants to come and have preseason at Chelsea and wants to give it a go. He's not willing to give up his Chelsea career without getting in front of Thomas Tuchel and having a pre-season and giving it a go. The, I would say he's, he's up against it, that he's going to find it tough to, to force his way into Tuchel's plans, but all credit to him for wanting to do that. So if, if Ruben goes, I think again, it would be towards the end of a window because I think he sees this as his last pre-season to try and give it one more go. 
um, before what I think then would be probably looking for a permanent move towards the end of the window. But so I know what Ruben wants to do. Um, the others are, are, are trickier. I mean, Pulisic, I would be surprised if Chelsea sold Pulisic or Hudson-Odoi, to be quite honest with you. Um, Hudson-Odoi, they've just made such a massive sort of investment in um, with his contract and all the years they've put into him. And he seems to have accepted, which he didn't accept to start with, that maybe he's got to have a, a slower path than he was hoping to get to start with. He was all about wanting to just play first team minutes, first team minutes, first team minutes. And it's not quite been like that for him, but he seems to have calmed down a little bit and, and perhaps realised that he's he can still have a really good Chelsea career, but it, he doesn't need to be playing and starting 40 games a season just yet while he's only... Is he still 20? I, can't, I don't know. I think so, yeah. Um, so, whether they'd loan Callum come the end of a window, I, I'm not sure, because if Callum's so far down the list come the start of the season, depending on what they do transfer-wise, maybe that would be wise. But I don't really see Callum leaving. I'd, I'd be surprised on Pulisic as well. Again, another big club investment. Um, and I also just don't see the market. I don't see a massive market to come. Who's coming to pay? What would Chelsea want for, for Pulisic? They'd, they surely want 60, 70 million. I, I don't really see who's coming to pay that in this market. I don't think it's going to be a huge market. I think they're going to be a couple of big deals, but the rest I think will be quite minor because of the pandemic still. Um, so it's not really a seller's market either. Barkley, I have no idea what will happen with Ross Barkley, quite frankly. I mean, he's he's had a real stinker. Um, and I feel sorry for him. I'm, I'm starting to think there's a few more issues with, with Ross Barkley, which I, I wouldn't want to speculate on. But um, there's, he, he keeps getting caught up in stuff off the pitch that, that make it into the press. And it's a recurring theme with him. So that needs to get sorted out. Drinkwater, I believe, will have one year left on his deal now, so he's not going to walk away from that. So it's another loan for Danny or it's see out the last year of his contract. He's not just going to walk away from from that year of his contract and, and there's no reason why he should do, quite frankly. Chelsea gave him that contract and he will know that he's not even going to earn half of that anywhere else now, even if he, he maybe even not a quarter of it. Um so they're going to find it difficult to shift players. One one interesting link that turned up this week is that I think Leeds are interested in Michi Batshuayi. He top scored for Marseille under Bielsa all those years ago. So there is there is some semblance of sort of reason to that. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to see. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough market. It's not going to be an easy market at all. I was going to say, do you, do you just have the sense that Tuchel is going to want a tighter squad? Like in general, he I guess I don't, I don't know, know much about him. I, I don't know um, because he he's done very well with this big squad and he's talked about liking a big squad. Lots of managers, I mean, Frank Lampard was very open about the fact that he thought the squad was too big. Mourinho would have definitely thought that the squad was too big. Mourinho likes a small squad. Um, so Tuchel seems different in that regard, but whether that's because of the pandemic at the moment and the challenges the pandemic threw up with the lack of preseason, the injuries, the playing every three days for the whole season, basically. And whether when that calms down, that changes, um, we'd have to see. Um, but 
I'd be surprised if Tuchel wants a, a smaller squad than what he's worked with this year because it's worked. I mean, why why change what's worked? Sorry, guys, I'm I'm just kind of looking at my phone because I keep getting calls off people who I think might be trying to tell me something about Antonio Conte. Um, I, I love that we're gonna have this season. live in the the end audio recording because the the one thing I was gonna say, Matt, is before we go before we round out. How excited will you be for a Premier League season where Antonio Conte is the manager of Tottenham Hotspur, if that does end up coming true? <laughs> Look, I, I think it is going to come true. I am going to talk to you while I'm looking at my phone because I'm I'm slightly worried about, like I say, these calls. But, um, yeah, look, Conte, Conte is just such a great character um, and such a wonderful manager that, you know, I'd, I'd love to have him back in England, whether it's a at Tottenham, whether it's at Everton, whether it'd be back at Chelsea. I'd just love to have him back around. I do think he'd be a very good appointment for for Tottenham. I know he's combustible and I know everybody's looking forward to potential fireworks between him and him and Daniel Levy. Um, but he's a winner. He's a massive winner. And if Tottenham can just manage him well and be sensible, there's a massive opportunity for them with him because he is a sensationally good coach. He improves. Look at what he's done with Lukaku. He he improves. Look what he did with Victor Moses. Look what he did with Marcus Alonso. All these people. There's a lot of people that he... And I know he falls out with players as well, but he improves a lot of players massively. So I think it would be hugely interesting. I do think, as we speak now, it looks like it's, it's going to happen. It's getting close. Um, so, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. I will find it a lot of fun. Uh, we, it will hurt to see him obviously over there at arrival because of how much the Chelsea fans love him. I'm sure they'll still clap him and then the whistle will blow and then we'll go back to, uh, not liking Tottenham. But Matt, thank you so much. You are, you are about Thanks, to guys. have continued to not get any rest. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing everything. Uh, as usual, Chelsea fans, more to come on the pod. Uh, it's going to be a wild summer. We're going to be here for everything we can. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.